0: Today on Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy.
1: God has given us all things to enjoy, and you cannot enjoy what God has given if you seek to enjoy them apart from God. That's always the danger, isn't it? Getting so taken up in the gifts, we lose sight of the giver. Don't do that. You won't enjoy the gifts if you ignore the giver.
0: Earning, saving, spending, investing, it's all just a necessary part of the daily grind, but sometimes we forget to consider the spiritual implications of managing our money. Today on Know the Truth, Philip de looks at the ancient book of Proverbs for insights into enjoying and employing our resources wisely. We're picking up where we left off last time in a series called That Makes Good Sense, and you'll find resources related to our study when you visit us online at ktt.org. Now with this message, Managing Your Money, here's Pastor Philip.
1: The purpose of money is to honor the Lord, right? It's God's, and God wants us to use it to honor Him. How may I use my money honorably? I, I need to be thoughtful, and I need to be theological when it comes to the management of my money. That's what the book of Proverbs is telling me. It challenges me not to buy impulsively, impetuously, The book of Proverbs challenges me to honor the Lord primarily with my money. And how would I honor him? Well, I've got two suggestions which I think are biblical. I'll root them in the book of Proverbs. He wants you to honor him by enjoying your money. And he wants you to honor him by employing your money. Let's think about that. See, God intends to bless his people. And then he intends those who he blesses that they will bless others because of that blessing or as I've said, enjoy it and then employ it. Let's look at the first thought. God wants us to enjoy it. The whole point of this point is this. I don't want you thinking with all the qualifications and warnings that you'll get about material possessions, I don't want you thinking that material wealth is wrong. I don't want you to think that if you're rich that there's something unspiritual about that. I want you to realize that as far as the Word of God is concerned that that you and I can enjoy material possessions and material possessions in their proper place and in their proper proportion. There's no compelling virtue in poverty. There is no necessary vice in wealth. God has given us all things to enjoy. That's 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7. And that just precedes a whole discussion that Paul's going to have with the church at Ephesus concerning wealth. And he's going to challenge The Christians at at Ephesus not to desire to be rich because some have strayed from the faith because of that desire. They've been bitten by materialism. They've lost sight of things unseen and things eternal. There are some rich people in the church at Ephesus and Paul says to the rich not to trust in their riches as if that is where their security lies because their riches are so uncertain. They're vaporous, they're temporary, but they're to use that wealth to bless the church and the needy. But before he gets to that, Paul again wants us to realize that this call to prudence in regards to our possessions is not a call to asceticism or frugality, or it is not to cause um, guilt-ridden enjoyment of God's appointed pleasures in our life. God has given us all things to enjoy. This is a material world. We are material beings And through material possessions, we can enjoy material pleasures. And there is nothing wrong with that in their appointed place in the right proportion. There is great food to be enjoyed in wonderful restaurants. There are beautiful spots to visit in this world during times of vacation. There are things to enjoy, and Christians can enjoy them without feeling guilty. There is no inherent badness in material things. In fact, according to Genesis 2 verse 9, God goes on to say, and the Lord caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. You can take your money and you can go and see some really good things in this world, pleasing to the sight. You can take your money and you're going to enjoy really good food in different countries in the world. That is not unspiritual. That is not being materialistic. Enjoying material things is not the same as being materialistic. Enjoying material things becomes materialistic when you lose sight of who owns it all and what he wants you to do with it. But part of what he wants you to do with it is enjoy it. Enjoy it. Sadly, some Christians spend their whole lives not committing one pleasure. No, one of the purposes of money, one of the purposes of material possessions is to enjoy them and the fruits of God's creation. I remember reading about a woman who asked if she wanted to become a Christian. She said no, because she was depressed enough as it was. Well, there's something wrong with that picture, isn't there? God has given us all things to enjoy, and you will find that if a Christian's living a God-honoring life, sometimes you'll see them just enjoying things, not loving those things above the love of the Father, not building their nest completely in this world, but just enjoying the good things of God. Let me tell you just by way of qualification, how to enjoy those good things. If I'm calling you to enjoy these good things, here's how you're to do it. You're to do it with thankfulness directed to God, and you're to do it in the company of others. God has given us all things to enjoy, and you cannot enjoy what God has given if you seek to enjoy them apart from God. That's always the danger, isn't it? Getting so taken up in the gifts, we lose sight of the giver. Don't do that. You won't enjoy the gifts if you ignore the giver. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon cut himself off from God. He lived under the sun. His faith in God was eclipsed. And you know what? Everything was vanity, vanity. Everything was dry as dust in his mouth. When he got to the bottom of his glass, his heart was still empty. You can't enjoy life apart from God and you can't enjoy the things of this life without reflecting and thanking the one who gives them. That's one way to enjoy it. Always make sure that when you're enjoying a nice day at the lake or you're sitting down in a nice restaurant with friends that you know what? That you know and they know that God is the one who has given us and you're enjoying his presence and his goodness and he is the center of the conversation. That's a good way to enjoy what God wants you to enjoy. And secondly, God wants you to enjoy your material possessions in the company of other people. He didn't give you these things for yourself. It's more blessed to give than to receive, says the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a philosophy of life. See, what do we have that we haven't been given? God loves to share what He has and he loves to share what he he has with us so that we might enjoy it. But you know what? He, He shares what he has with us so that we might enjoy it in the company of others as we give to them what God has given to us. That's the way you'll enjoy it. If you're going to be selfish and individualistic, you will not enjoy the things that God wants you to enjoy. Listen to Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 26. You'll see the heart of the believer Back up in the verse 25, the desire of the lazy man kills him for his hands refuse to labor. His He covets greedily all day long, but the righteous gives and does not spare. You find a man or a woman who's enjoying life. I'll tell you what, they're enjoying the goodness of God. They're living a life rooted in worship and thankfulness towards God. And over the overspill of God's goodness to them, they invite others into the circle and say, hey, come on, let's enjoy what God is doing in my life. I want to bless you with what God is blessing me. That's the way to enjoy life. And I think you and I need to remember that money's best use, listen to me, money's best use is in conjunction with experiencing God's goodness to you and reflecting upon that and inviting others into the circle and enjoying God's goodness in the company of other people, family, friends, neighbors, and the church of Jesus Christ. Listen to me. You hoard your money, you spend it on yourself, you will not enjoy material possessions as God intends you to enjoy them. But if you will reflect in God's goodness and use your money to bless others, you will enjoy the blessing of God. That's the best way to spend your money. Look, I'm not saying that money can buy love, and I'm not saying that money can purchase life, but I am saying that the gifts of God wisely used and widely shared will show love and bring blessing to others which enhances life. It's easy to lose sight of that. We can be chasing the mighty dollar and in the process, forget to love God, forget to enjoy what he has given us right now because he doesn't promise tomorrow. We're always waiting till we get to that point before we'll enjoy life. That's a huge mistake. And we forget along the way to bless our children, bless our neighbors, help the poor. Enjoy it in its proper place in its proper proportion and enjoy it in reflecting upon God's goodness across your life and enjoy it in the company of those you love and those that God wants you to love. Brings us secondly to employ it. If you're going to enjoy it, you got to employ it. You got to invest it where God wants you to invest it. And that will include benefiting others. God wants his people to be givers, not takers, channels, not reservoirs for the time that remains. Can I tell you quite clearly from the word of God where God wants you to spend your money? And if you're not spending it this way, you better change. This is God's inner and authoritative word for our life concerning the managing of our money. It's not me. If I actually the tax right, and you can challenge me, that I've done that, then this is how God wants you to invest, employ, and spend your money. Number one, He wants you to invest and employ your money to the benefit of His kingdom and the advance of the gospel. Absolutely. A great portion of your income ought to be going to the Lord's work. Look at Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10 again. We saw it. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase. They brought the feast of the first fruits to the temple. They honored God. They worshiped God. They recognized his central place in their life, what they had he had given. Therefore, they were given back what they had been given as a token of the fact that they understood they were stewards. They were not here to serve themselves with God's money. They were here to serve others with God's money. And so they brought that first fruits to the temple. That is a theme, not only in the old covenant, but the new covenant. You know that Paul was collecting money for the poor church in Jerusalem, And the church in Corinth had decided to be part of that plan and that project. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul tells them about how they ought to collect this collection and how it will be sent to Jerusalem. Listen, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so must you do also. On the first day of the week, let each of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there may be no collection when I come. And when I come, whoever you appoint by letters, I will send the bird the gift to Jerusalem. There's an example of the New Testament church gathering on a Sunday and the fruits of God's goodness to them, the prosperity with which he has blessed them. Out of that prosperity, they have set something aside to give to the Lord's work. In this case, it's, it's, it's a, a gift to the church in Jerusalem. The apostles wanted that. The local elders in the church had appointed that. That's a theme throughout the Word of God. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 6, we have a similar thought giving us a window into the giving of the New Testament church. Let him who has taught the Word share in all good things with him who teaches. Why do you, as a church, give your pastors salaries? Because this Bible says, those who teach you the word and are over you, they should enjoy all the good things that God has blessed you with as they teach you. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will reap. If he sows to the flesh, he will of the flesh reap corruption. If he sows to the Spirit of the Spirit, he'll reap everlasting life. One last verse, 1 Timothy 5. Again, reminding us of our duty to spend our money in the support of the gospel, the preachers of God's word, and the advance of world missions. 1 Timothy 5 verse um, 17, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. What does it mean to honor them doubly? Well, the honor is financial. You say, how do you know? Pastor, verse 18, the Scriptures say, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. The church ought to bless those who preach God's Word. They ought to bring offerings into the church so that the church might meet the needs of the church across the world, like Corinth blessed Jerusalem. This is a mighty mission God has given us, and He intends us to fulfill it. And one of the ways He'll do it is He'll put money in our pocket so that moved by His Spirit, in obedience to His Word, we'll put our hand in our pocket. Find the money that God has given us, and we'll give it to His work. That's the way it should be. Sadly, that's not the way it is. But it is a fact, a sad fact perhaps indicating the financial apostasy of the American church. Here we are living in the most generous and blessed culture in the world, and the average Christian gives 3% of their income to the Lord's work. Is that not a shame and disgrace? Does that not tell us that we are not living according to the book of Proverbs? We're not living wisely. We're not living well. In fact, only 8% of Christians tithe. Something wrong with that, isn't there? How should we spend our money, employ our money? First of all, it should be directed to kingdom work. Secondly, it should be directed to helping the needy and alleviating the plight of the poor. This is a big theme in the book of Proverbs. In fact, the book of Proverbs warns us. There's actually a warning here. We need to heed it. Proverbs 21 and verse um, 13. Whoever shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be heard. Proverbs 28 and verse 27, he who gives to the poor will not lack, but he who hides his eyes will have many curses. God blesses us so that we may bless others. If we don't bless others with the blessing with which God has blessed us, that means the church and the poor. God will curse us, curse us. I want to hear the warning and the heed, the admonition of God's word. This is a tremendous theme. Proverbs 14, verse 31 Proverbs 14, verse 31, you'll see this. He who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, but he who honors him has mercy on the needy. Look at Ephesians 4, verse It's just so that you understand this is a New Testament principle also. Let him who steals, steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give who he, him who has need. Why do I work? Because God wants you to labor with your hands so that you might have something to give to him who is in need. There are people this morning starving across the world. We throw out more food on a given day than most people get to eat. In the West, more money is spent on pet food than would feed the world entirely if that money was invested. Therefore, we need to heed the warning of God's word. To enjoy the blessing of God without showing mercy to those less fortunate is to invite his displeasure. Brings me to the third thought, time's gone. We should direct our money, invest it, employ it for kingdom purposes, for the blessing of those less fortunate, and thirdly, to meet our family's needs. To meet our family's needs. We won't go through the verses, but read uh, Proverbs 31, verse 13 following, you'll see the virtuous woman, and she's described as a merchant ship. She goes out into the community. She sells some of the things she has made uh, at home. She uh, invests in little parcels of land, and whatever she reaps in, um, she makes sure that her family's clothed. Her husband is blessed all the days of his life. I mean, this is a very industrious, wise woman financially, and she uses her wealth to bless her family and to bless her husband. Now, You'd have to cross-reference that with other passages of Scripture. She's not taking the place of her husband because the Bible teaches that the man is the primary breadwinner. In fact, 1 Timothy 5 verse 8 reminds us of that, that if man doesn't provide for his home, he's worse than an unbeliever. Charity begins at home. And so our responsibilities are as God blesses us with the fruit of our labors, we meet the needs of our home, we meet the needs of the church, And we meet the needs of those, our neighbor, whom God has given us to love. By the way, I think this needs to be said by way of qualification. Providing for your family is not the same as indulging your children. And providing for your family doesn't mean that you finance their foolishness. Listen to Proverbs 19, verse 10. Luxury is not fitting for a fool, much less for a servant to rule over princes. Wealth befits only the wise. And so while you and I have primary care for our family, we must not use our money to indulge our children's wants and desires beyond that which is biblical contentment. And we ought not to finance their foolishness. If they have made bad investments, one after another, if they have not heeded counsel, you do not have to give them money to finance their foolishness. Wealth does not befit a fool. Blessing is wasted on such people. But a man ought to leave an inheritance for his children. That's for sure. Proverbs 13 and verse 22 makes that clear. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. My dad left me a a book when he went back to Northern Ireland this week. It's a book on the Scots-Irish I was interested to read something of the life of Sam Houston, the Texan, this red-blooded, colorful Scots-Irish soldier and politician. He was a rough rider. The city of Houston's named after him. A very colorful uh, character. He did come to know Christ at a later point in his life, and by reading another book just recently, I was able to put these uh, elements together. That after his baptism, Sam Houston said that he wanted to pay half of the local Baptist minister's salary. When somebody asked him why, he responded, quote, after his baptism, my billfold was baptized too. In fact, that's literally true because I read the account in a a Southern Baptist book just recently because um, Sam Houston was tied to the early Texan Baptists. But uh, when he was about to be baptized in a creek, somebody said to him, Sam, do you want me to hold your wallet? He had this very... You know, nice fine leather wallet. And he said, No, just leave it there because it needs to be baptized too. What about you? Is your billful baptized? Are you giving to the Lord's work weekly, generously, faithfully? Or is the Lord actually getting the crumbs from a table He spread, but a table you're indulging yourself at? What about the poor? What about the needy? Maybe you've got a neighbor on your street, you know they've got a problem. Would God not lay on your heart to give to the needy as a witness to him? Are you enjoying your money with your family? Are you being wise stewards? Are you preparing an inheritance for your children? And then are you preparing your children for that inheritance? By not indulging their wants, teaching them the worth of money and the use of money and the eternal value of it. May God baptize our gofords.
0: It's possible there's nothing more here now than learning how to honor God with our resources. You're listening to Know the Truth in a message from Philip DeCourcy titled, Managing Your Money. There's more to come in part two tomorrow. But it's possible you'd like to hear today's lesson again or share it with a friend. You'll find it when you visit us online at ktt.org. Look for the series titled, That Makes Good Sense. At Know the Truth, we're committed to proclaiming the truth of God's Word with boldness, clarity, and conviction so that believers are encouraged daily, equipped to serve, and engaged to share the gospel everywhere they go. But we can't do it without your help. We rely on the generosity of listeners like you to bring these Bible studies to your station every Monday through Friday, even weekends. And when you give a generous one-time gift or sign up for a monthly auto gift, you help keep Know the Truth on the air so that listeners can continue growing in their faith. You'll also receive helpful resources to grow in your own faith. When you give any amount to know the truth in April, we'll express our gratitude by sending you a wonderful book titled, A Dozen Things God Did With Your Sin and Three Things He'll Never Do. Every Christian has experienced days or even seasons of feeling extreme guilt over past or present sins, thinking that God is angry or disgusted with them, sometimes even wondering if they're truly saved. Author Sam Storms addresses this anxiety over sin by reminding believers of the good news of the gospel. Request a copy for yourself or give it to a friend. Call 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. And thanks for taking time out today to partner together with us. Let me assure you, your gifts are making a significant impact in the lives of listeners across the U.S. Your gift, large or small, will mean so much. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Come back tomorrow as we continue a study in Proverbs called Managing Your Money.